0: I'm so glad you're joining me today. My name is Chad Roberts, and today we are talking about the Church of Ephesus. We are in a great study on the seven churches of Revelation, and today we're going to learn a great deal out of God's Word. I hope that you'll consider visiting our website, awakenedograce.com, and as you listen to today's sermon, I hope that you will prayerfully consider joining our community of grace givers a grace giver is someone who partners with us in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord has put us on many platforms and these sermons go far and wide and you can be part of that by standing shoulder to shoulder with us in the heralding in the spreading in the proclaiming in the trumpeting of the gospel of Jesus Christ just like the sermon you're about to hear. I hope you enjoy this edition of Awakened Radio. Well, today I want to invite you to Revelation chapter 2. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that many of us are getting back in the swing of church, and I'm thankful for that. You know, church is a habit. We're either in the habit of going or we're in the habit of not going. And scripture says, Hebrews 10, 25, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves, which is the what? Habit of some. And I'm thankful we're getting back in the habit of gathering. You know, I've been thinking with all this COVID-19 stuff, many of you know, if you're a guest today and you don't know me, you may not know that I'm completely blind, but I study scripture ferociously, and uh, I'm so thankful for this season of my life that God has literally put blinders on me, so all I see is the text. I've never thought so deeply, I've never loved more passionately the word of God than I do right now in this moment. I'm really learning what Jesus meant when he said, man shall not eat by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. And I was thinking yesterday all day about this. <laughs> this isn't in our study of this morning, which is Revelation two, but in Revelation six and seven, I just want to share with you where some of my thoughts were yesterday about COVID-19 is COVID-19 a sign of the coming of Christ. Well, I believe that it is part of the labor pain that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24. But let me define it a little more narrowly. I believe that it is a Braxton Hicks contraction. Any of you ladies ever had a Braxton Hicks? I mean, it's real, ain't it? But it's not the real thing, is it? I mean, it is, but it's not. Can some of you say amen? Now listen to what scripture says. Because I want you to know where we are. I want you to know what's happening on the earth. What's aligning to God's plan. The Bible says that when Christ takes the scroll and breaks the seals. That's the beginning of the tribulation. Now where are we? Revelation 4 5. We're around the throne of God. We're singing worthy is the lamb. We're clothed in white. But the world is going to experience a judgment of God. Unlike any other time. And the church is, listen, we're raptured. We won't be here for that time. Matter of fact, I told Pastor Phil, he was out this week with his procedure. But I told Pastor Phil, the staff voted. He's going to be the key holder for the church during the tribulation so we can let people in. We all voted him in for it. (laughs) That's a joke. But anyways, he found it funny. That's good. But where are we on the earth right now? Well... The Bible says when those seals break, part of those seals are going to be the four horsemen. You remember the scripture talks about that? A white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. What is happening with COVID-19? What's happening with this coronavirus and what's going on? Well, Jesus said in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquake in various places. There's going to be famine in various places, but the end is not yet. These things have always been on the earth, but what Jesus says is there's going to be an intensifying to these things. Well, let me tell you what I've been thinking about. Now, watch what scripture says. The white horse is going to represent this man of lawlessness, this antichrist. And scripture says he comes with a bow but no arrows. What does that mean? It means he'll be a man of diplomacy. It means that he'll rule the earth with peace, but it will be a false peace. Following him is the red horse and that is going to be a time of severe war. And The war that's going to be unleashed upon the earth during that time. And following that is the black horse. And, oh, you're talking about putting a chill down your spine. What's going to follow the time of war? It's going to be a time of famine. It's going to be a time of disease and pestilence. And, and watch closely. And then following that's going to be the pale horse, which is going to be death. Which scripture says it will be given to kill a quarter, 25% of the earth's population. Now, think about this. What is going to follow that man of sin, that Antichrist? War. And what always follows war? Famine, disease, pestilence. And what always follows that? Death. It's a natural progression. But it's going to be a time like the earth has never known. Humanity, Jesus said, will have never known it nor will ever know it again. It is the wrath of God. But here's where I believe we are Notice what happens with that third horse, that black horse. None of this is in my notes today. This is all free. This is freebies, all right? But are you interested in this? Do you want to know what's going on? So what is COVID-19? Yes, this is a pestilence, but this is not the contraction church. This is a Braxton Hicks. This is a warning. Look what COVID-19 has done to the earth. Imagine what it will be when that seal breaks and that black rider, that black horse comes upon the earth. It will be unprecedented. And here's what Jesus says will happen there will be famine. It actually says, listen to what it says, a a loaf of bread will be a denarii. You know what a denarii was? It was an entire day's wage. Calculate your day's wage, and that's what one loaf of bread will cost. What's it teaching? It's saying there'll be hyperinflation. Food cost will soar. And then it says there'll be pestilence. We know that's disease. But then, this is what I found so interesting. This is what I thought about a lot yesterday. It says that wild beasts will kill man. Now, what's that mean? None of this is in my notes. None of it. I, but, but i, I I got to get it out. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about this, and I want to share it with you because I want you to see how precise the Word of God is. It's precise. Now, when it says that wild beasts will kill humanity, does that mean that like tigers are going to go crazy and just kill people? No, I don't think that's what it means. Do you know what the CDC tells us? It tells us that 75% of all disease in humans come from animals. And what have you and I seen in just the last couple of decades? They say AIDS came from a chimpanzee. Malaria comes from what? Mosquitoes. Bird flu, you remember that? Swine flu, do you remember that? And now COVID-19 from bats. What scripture say? What does it mean by wild beast? I think it means Exactly what you and I are seeing on the earth today. In just the last several years, there's been Mars, SARS, Ebola, Corona, and the list keeps West Nile, malaria. The list just keeps going. The earth is ripe for what Scripture says is about to come. The question is, are you ready? Are you found in Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says to the wicked, they will be struck by the fist of God, but not to the righteous. Amen? To the righteous, there's a deliverance coming. Amen? Well, all of that was free. Now let's go to Revelation (laughs) chapter 2. If you weren't with us last week, you can jump on our mobile app, Awaken to Grace, and you can watch or listen to any of our sermons. But last week, we were in Revelation 1. And what we saw in Revelation 1 was this beautiful description of Jesus. And we learned that the book of Revelation is not really about the Antichrist or the mark of the beast or the tribulation period, the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, and everything in between. It's not really all about that. The word revelation means the unveiling. It is the revealing. Of who Jesus is. It's his sovereignty. It's his kingdom. It's his power and dominion. It is while there are chaos, while there is chaos on the earth, there's absolute control in heaven. Amen? So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're spending our summer months studying the seven churches of Revelation. And today we begin church number one, the church of Ephesus. If you look on a map of what where the seven churches were, and it's important that you know this, these are seven physical, literal churches that Jesus writes to. These were actual congregations made up of families just like us. These were individual local churches. Now, the interesting thing is that not only does this have a uh, a significance to those local churches, but this speaks to all churches throughout all time. This speaks to every church of every age, including ours, including Preaching Christ's Church today. We are going to see ourselves today in the church of Ephesus, as well as all the others as we study. What I want to show you today is why Ephesus was so important. I want to show you what most of these phrases mean, and I think what it says to the church of today. Now, first of all, let's talk about Ephesus just for a second. Understand how important, what a strategic city this was. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, that was actually written to the church of Ephesus. We read a lot about Paul's experience in Ephesus through the book of Acts. Luke tells us a great deal about Paul's experience in Ephesus. And Paul actually founded the church of Ephesus. So far, I have been the only pastor of Preaching Christ Church. But let me tell you what an impressive resume the church of Ephesus held. Do you know that its founder was the great Apostle Paul, crying out loud, Its second pastor was Apollos. You remember Paul said in in Corinthians, some of you follow Paul, some Apollos, but don't do that because, you know, the Bible says some plant and some water, but it's God who gives the increase. And then their third pastor was that of Timothy, who first and second Timothy were written to. The church, the city of Ephesus was such a wicked city. They... Dragged, church history tells us, they dragged Timothy out of the streets and literally beat him to death. And Then their other pastor was John, the great John the Apostle, the writer of the book of Revelation. He actually wrote the gospel of John. In the city of Ephesus. And he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In the city of Ephesus. And while he wrote the book of Revelation. After he was released from the Isle of Patmos. At the age of 90. He went back to Ephesus to the church. And that's where he died. And that's where he is buried. The city of Ephesus was a population of about 200,000. It was a major Influential city. In that day, in the ancient day, it would have been Rome, it would have been Alexandria, and third, it would have been Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital city of the Asian province, Asia Minor. Its roads, its harbor, its trade made it highly wealthy and highly influential. And today, we get a sneak peek into what Christ thought about this church. You ready to dive in? Verse number one, here's what John is instructed. Notice with me verse one. "To To the angel of Ephesus write. Now let's hold right there. Who is the angel of Ephesus? Well, scholars debate this. Does this mean that each local church has its own angel, its own protective angel? It could, but I tend to agree with most scholars that What this is referring to is the actual pastor. The term in the Greek is the messenger of God. And the reason I think this is speaking to the pastor, the angel of Ephesus or the angel of Sardis or the angel of Pergamum, whatever church it is, I think the reason it's speaking to the pastor is because ultimately who will stand and give a full account for the church before Jesus Christ? It's the pastor. In this church, we're like many churches, we have multiple levels of leadership and multiple levels of accountability. We have an immensely strong volunteer base. We got over 20 ministry leaders who lead areas of ministry and departments. We've got multiple small group leaders. We have a strong deacon team who serves in a phenomenal capacity. We have got a strong finance team that gives oversight and accountability and keeps us on track. We've got a strong elder team that governs the church and helps make wise decisions and guards us in doctrinal purity and biblical purity. And then, of course, we have a paid staff who serves so wonderfully and so faithfully. But out of all of those groups, who will stand and give a full and a detailed account? The pastor. They say if you ever are in heaven and there's a long line of pastors in judgment, don't get in that line because it'll take a while. And indeed it will. I will give account for the people that I pastor. That's why it's important for me to know you. You know, it's very difficult for me where I'm blind now. You know, when I meet new people, I have no idea what they look like. No idea. But I still get to know people. And it's so important to me that I get to know you. One reason is because genuinely, I want to know you. But the other reason is because I will give account for you spiritually. You know, back when I had eyesight, there was one day, there was a woman who attended our church, came to our church, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and she was, uh, Lord, help me. I don't want to say anything bad. She was different. Is that acceptable? Is different good? Any of you know different people? Oh, come on. Who's married to somebody different? (laughs) You know what I'm saying. She's different. But I hadn't seen her in about a year. Probably over a year. You know, I had eyesight. I knew exactly who she was. And I go to AutoZone one day to get something. And she's standing beside me. I didn't have a hat on, nothing like that. And she's standing beside me. And the person asked her, where do you go to church? The clerk asked her. And you know what she said? Preaching Christ church. And I'm standing right there beside her. I know her name. And I haven't seen her in over a year. Anyways, I'm way off in the weeds. Lord (laughs) Jesus, help me today. There's so much to remember in Revelation, and I'm not doing myself any favors, am I? (laughs) My point is I want to know you, not just because I genuinely want to know you. It's because I will give an account for you. I'll give an account for your spiritual growth. That's a sobering thought. Now, he gives a beautiful description of Christ. While the angel of the church, I believe, is the pastor, oh, he's not the head. Notice what he says next. Look what he says about Jesus. To the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, that right hand of Jesus, that power, that sovereignty, that dominion, that might, and who walks among the golden (laughs) lampstands. hallelujah you know what this tells me church Jesus is the head of his church right to the angel because he's responsible but I'm not the head of the church Christ is the head of his church and even more beautiful do you know what this tells me Jesus walks in the midst of his lampstand now watch this don't say amen if you're with me right now because I don't want you to miss this notice what he says next verse 2 I know your works your toil, your patient endurance. I know that you cannot bear with those who are false, who say that, who are wicked. They say they are apostles, but they, do, are, they are not, they, are, they lie. And he said, I know about your patient endurance and how you bear up for my name and how you have not grown weary. Let me tell you, my friends, Jesus Christ knows his church. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ knows your life And He knows your struggles. He knows your patient endurance. He knows what you're believing God for. He knows what you're standing in the gap for. He knows every prayer that you pray. God knows every promise that He's made you. And He sees you when you refuse to give up and you hold on. God knows His church. He walks in the midst. Let me tell you what it tells me. You have got the full attention of Jesus Christ right now today. Amen? He's not out walking among Washington, D.C. He's not out walking among the political politics. No, he's walking among his church, amen. And you've got his full attention. He sees your works. He sees your labor. He sees your patient endurance. Oh, he sees it all. And here's what Satan would do. He would try to isolate you. He would try to bring discouragement on you. He would try to come to you and say, God isn't listening to you. God has abandoned you. God has left you in your mess. But know, my friend, he's walking today in the midst of his church. His eye is on the righteous and his ear is open to our cry. Amen. Don't you dare let Satan tell you that Christ doesn't know you, that he doesn't see you, that he doesn't love you, that he's abandoned you or that he's ignoring you or that you don't matter to him because let me tell you the gospel truth. He's walking in the midst of you right now. Amen? Amen. Now let's dig into this. Let's understand exactly what God's saying to churches. He says, I know your works. What's that mean? Let me tell you god knows the works that you're to do you know i grew up in the kind of culture the kind of church and i'm thankful for the church i grew up in but i grew up in that in that kind of culture that looked really down on good works and the reason why is because you know you don't want to dilute the gospel you don't want to water it down with good works you can't be saved through good works right But just because you cannot be saved through good works doesn't mean you're not to do good works. Warren Wearsby said it so well when he was alive. He would say, you're not saved because of good works, but because you're saved, you should be doing good works. That's the biblical balance. I was shocked as a young pastor when I would read text that says, Glorify God, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. When Scripture said we ought to be zealous for good works, when Scripture says we ought to be rich in good works, when Scripture says we should desire good works, that we should walk in them. You know, Ephesians 2 says we were created in Christ before the foundations of the world were ever laid to walk in good works. Good works. Can I go a little deeper? Say amen if you're with me today. Because we ain't going to make it to the buffet before the Methodists get there. I got just too much revelation in me right now. The Presbyterians are going to beat us. The Baptists are going to beat us. You'll get there before the Apostolics. I, I promise you that. But, we're, but you're not going to make it on time. Can I teach for a minute? Because this is so in my heart. Let's talk about these good works. Do you know what Revelation 19 verse 8 says? When you and I are married to Christ, that great marriage supper of the Lamb where the bride of Christ, the church, is married to Christ. Oh, it would be a celebration of the ages. And do you know what you and I are dressed in? Read it, Revelation nineteen 8. I'm not making any of this up. It says it was granted to her who? The bride of Christ, the church. Not Old Testament saints. Not tribulation saints. Us. The church. The New Testament. Blood bought. Sinners. Saved by the grace of God. And do you know what we're dressed in? Listen to what it said. And it was given to her. It was granted to her. To be clothed in the finest of white linen. And do you know what it says? That dazzling... That finest, that bright white linen. Do you know what it says that those linens are? The righteous deeds done by the saints upon the earth. You know what happens every time you do a good work for Jesus? And Jesus said that if you offer a cold glass to the least of these, a cold glass of water, you've done it unto me. Amen? And every time that you do a righteous deed on behalf of Jesus Christ, do you know what you're doing? It says that the linens that we will wear, the beautiful clothing that we will wear, is the righteous deeds of the saints. You are threading your linen on this earth. How well dressed you are in heaven depends on how well you've lived upon the earth. Hallelujah. So quit wasting time on Facebook. Quit wasting time shopping. Quit wasting time doing whatever it is and start doing those righteous deeds for the glory of God. Not for your salvation, but because of it. Amen? But then he's going to dig a little deeper. Can we go a little deeper? Those, he knows our works, but listen. Your toil. Well, isn't that the same thing? No. Do you know what the word toil means? It's that motive behind the work. Listen to what it says. Toil. In the Greek, the actual meaning of this is to labor to the point of exhaustion. Now, many of us have jobs where we labor to the point of exhaustion. Okay. But listen, I'm talking about kingdom right now. Do you serve the Lord? I'm talking with your mental capacity. I'm talking about with the fervency of your praying. I'm talking about out of the passion of your heart. I'm talking about the skill sets that you have acquired. I'm talking about your abilities. I'm talking about all that is all that comprises you your health and your mental and and all the all every resource that God has put inside you. Every resource that is in your hands. Everything that God has given you. Do you lay it on the line and do you labor to the point of exhaustion? That's what it means to toil for God. And Jesus says, I see it. I've noticed it. I see your works and I see your toil. Hallelujah. And then he said, I see that you don't bear the wicked, you don't bear false teaching. Would to God that this church be like that, that we would not tolerate any false doctrine. I don't know if you can tell by the way we preach, but we're not trying to tickle anybody's ears. We don't send out polls to see if you like the preaching. We don't gauge people to see if this topic is too hard or if this offends anybody or if this, you know, if this is just a, you know, a little no. Our aim is to please the Lord, not you. Amen. Amen. You want a consumer driven church? You're in the wrong one. Because our aim is to please only one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't tolerate discord. Somebody say amen. Amen. We don't tolerate false doctrine. If somebody sows discord in this church, I have no issues saying it's time for you to find somewhere else. We don't tolerate things. And listen, Jesus notices Churches that don't tolerate false doctrine, discord. Those who say they are something, but they're not. Then look what he says, your patient endurance. Now, I love this. You know what the word patience means here? It's it's actually quite interesting. It means enduring while moving forward. Isn't that interesting? Moving forward. I don't know how you are, but when I think about patience, I think about setting down. <laughs> I think about twirling my thumbs, having nothing to do, just sitting. But do you know that's the furthest thing from what the Bible teaches? As a matter of fact, you know, in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 43, the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord, you know the scripture I'm talking about? Will mount up their wings with eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint, Right? Do you know what that word for wait means? Again, waiting on God, to me, says you sit down and you just wait. But that's not what it means. That word wait is actually where we get our English word for people who work in restaurants and are servers. Waiter, waitress. Have you ever seen a a waiter or waitress have a heavy tray with all this food? And what do they do? They come to your table and they serve. Oh, you see where we're going? What do you do while you're waiting on God? You serve God. You move forward in Jesus' name. Amen? Waiting on God doesn't mean you sit down and you don't do anything. It's actually the exact opposite. Because you're waiting on God, you are serving fervently and passionately. Isn't that that amazing to wait on God? So are you serving while you're waiting? Are you serving God? Are you active? Are you engaged in the kingdom of God? Because that's what this is all about. So Jesus writes to this church, this great Ephesian church, these people of Ephesus, these people who are idolaters, and now they're born again, and now they're the precious Church of Jesus. And he says, "I know your works. I see your toil." your exhaustion. I see your dedication to doctrine and to purity and that you won't bear falsehood. And I see that you patiently endure for my name's sake and that you've not grown weary. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord had those things to say about us? Now, what Jesus does is he shows us the exterior of the church and boy, their exterior looks mightily impressive. You know, we're trying to work on our exterior here. (laughs) You know, we have a nicer parking lot now. We're getting ready. We're trying to fix our wall out here where people keep... Do you hit our wall? (sighs) People keep clipping that with their tire, and we're getting ready to fix that. Uh, We just graveled this... You remember how ugly this side lot was, and... Now it's graveled and has nice lighting up. We just put our service times on the doors and we've got nice new signs out there. And we're trying to make the exterior look a little better. But let me ask you a question. Is the exterior where things count? No. Is anyone ever going to get saved because our lines on our parking lot look nice? Is anyone ever going to get saved because we have a nice retainer wall out there? No. No. It's in here, the preaching of the gospel, that men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, students, that they pass from death unto life. Amen. It's the interior that matters. And while Jesus shows us this model church, while he shows us the good works and the toil and the patient endurance and the doctrinal purity, and while God shows us the beautiful exterior of the church of Ephesus, what we find in verse 4 is they actually had a big internal problem. They had a heart problem. Pastor Phil talked about being hospitalized this week with his heart problem. This church had a heart issue. Notice verse 4. After commending this church, now he's going to say some hard things. Watch what he says. But nevertheless, I have this against you. You have lost your first love. Oh, did you notice I misquoted it? For years I've said they have lost their first love, but pay attention to Scripture. That's not what it says. It doesn't say they lost their first love or that, they, uh, that they, they somehow just one day lost. No, it says they left their first love. They abandoned their first love. Do you see the difference? They didn't just lose it, they left it. It was a choice. Let me tell you, here's, here's what, what, what the word picture is. It's, it's a drifting away is what it is. Let let, let me tell you what happened to me two Tuesday nights ago. We were in prayer meeting, and I had a word to share um, from Scripture, and I began to teach. And a lot of times I can tell where, I don't know if you can see it, but I have little felt tabs on my podium. Because sometimes I get a little sideways. And I don't know when I'm sideways. So when I feel my tabs, oh I just line right back up. (laughs) And so this helps me keep my bearings. Well, I taught on the floor, not on the platform, and I didn't have my podium. Well, as I was teaching, I was really into the teaching and I was really passionate and it's very difficult for me to remember everything that I'm supposed to say and that I have you know, studied and, and, and even remembering the text alone can be challenging. And I'm, and I'm focused and I'm, I, I, I say focused, but I, I, in reality maybe I was even a little distracted trying to think hard and all of a sudden I hear people, amen, but it don't sound right. What was an amen over here is all of a sudden an amen right here. And I stopped. And remember, I don't have any bearings. And I stopped. And I realized, I've drifted. I said, where am I? And Caleb came and got me. And do you know where I was? Almost to the garage door. (laughs) Oh, I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. I can't believe that I did that. And everyone was gracious and everyone laughed. And, you know, it's not a big deal. But to me, I couldn't believe that I got that far off kilter. And after the service, Caleb, (laughs) Caleb's such a great friend to me. And he said, Chad, I'm so sorry I let you do that. He said, I should have gotten you sooner. And I said, no, brother, it's, it's okay. He said, you, you had drifted like between these steps and the stage steps. And he said, I looked down at my Bible and he said, before I could even look back up, you're almost to the garage door. He listen to what he said. He said, you just kept taking baby steps. And listen, this is why I think the Lord actually allowed it because I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. But let me tell you why I think the Lord allowed it for today, for this purpose. I, would, I did not even realize that my feet was moving. And I just kept drifting. I better not, because I'll fall off this stage. I'm not even going to illustrate it. But I did not even feel myself even moving. And this is where it's so easy to be spiritually. Oh, you can come to church. You can read your Bible. You can sing the songs. You can do all the religious things. You can pray before your meal. You can, you can, you can do all this stuff and not even realize. You can have all the external. You can serve in your ministry. You can be on the team. You can, you can do whatever God's called you to do and not even realize that you've drifted in your heart and you've taken baby steps. And all of a sudden, you go, where did I, how did I even get here? Isn't that fascinating? He says, you've lost. No, <laughs> you've left your first love. And then he says, watch this. Now he gives the solution, verse five. Here's what you do. If you've left, left your first love, here's what you do. He says, number one, Remember from which you've fallen. Go back. Go back to that place where you first fell in love with Jesus. Where you read your Bible with passion. Where you prayed with fervency. Where you truly thank God for the grace that he's had over your life and over your salvation. Jesus said, I'm going to help you. This is what you do. Go back. Remember. And then number two, look what he said. Repent. Repent for getting distracted. Repent for allowing yourself to drift. It's amazing. You know, so often in this culture, we preach repentance only to the lost. But the Bible preaches it both to the lost and to the church. And right here, he tells his people, the church, repent. How important. We quote the scripture, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will come in and dine with him. That's Revelation 3.20. And we quote it at altar calls to the lost. But Jesus said that to the church, which we'll be at in six weeks, the church of Laodicea. He says, remember. He says, repent. And then thirdly, what's he say? Redo, repeat. Go back to your first works. Go back to what you once did. You know this is not only a word for the church. For Christians who have drifted. This is also a word for troubled marriages. I love doing marriage counseling. I do an enormous amount of marriage counseling. And do you know I feel as strong of an anointing. The strong presence of the Holy Spirit. In that counseling office back there. Than I do behind this pulpit. And I see God rescue marriage after marriage after marriage. And let me tell you why I believe, why I have hope that God can save your marriage. You say, Chad, if you knew my situation, you wouldn't feel that way. No, no. You say, Chad, if you knew what happened to me, you wouldn't say that. No, let me tell you why I have hope. You say, Chad, you don't know my grounds for divorce. Well, do you realize that grounds for divorce is also grounds for Forgiveness. And do you know why I have hope for marriages? Because of what this text teaches. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. If you have woken up and realized that you have fallen out of love with your spouse, let me tell you, Satan has fed you the greatest deception, and you're falling for it hook, line, and sinker. If you say, well, in my heart, I have fallen out of love. Let me tell you the Bible gospel news, my friend. You've not fallen out of love. You've left love. You've abandoned it. And you say, well, Chad, what do I do? What the text says. Go back. Remember when you did fall in love. Remember how you felt when you met. Remember what you did when you first met. And then repent. Repent that you've gotten distracted in life. Repent that you've allowed Satan to come and deceive. Repent that you've allowed yourself to drift. Repent that you've allowed the situation to get where it is. And then what do you do? Then you redo. You go back to what you did when it first happened, when you first met. Now, is that a blanket statement to every single marriage? No, no, it's not. I realize that I realize that there are many of you who you didn't choose, you didn't want. If things could have been different, you would have chosen that path. I know that and I think the Lord knows that. I'm not saying, I'm not throwing stones because of some things that cannot be helped or changed. But I'm saying for those of you right now that's in a struggle in your marriage, this is as much a word for your marriage As it is for your Christian walk. Love is a choice. And you know what the odd thing is? Listen, when you make the choice, the love comes back. Because remember, you didn't lose it. That's not a biblical principle, it's that we walked away from it. God can heal, God can restore, God can redeem. And for those of you who are listening, who you would say, I would choose that path in a second. But that wasn't my story. And God, that's not the way it worked for me. Well, let me tell you, my friend, God still redeems. God still restores. Amen? So often the church treats divorce as though it is the unpardonable sin. And it's not. Even post God still restores. So, those of you that are struggling right now, those of you who you don't know if your marriage is gonna make it, let me lovingly refer you to this passage. Go back and redo what you first did and the love will come back. Now, what's he say next? Verse number five Well, here's the solution, church. If you've lost your first love, remember, repeat, uh, repent, repeat. (laughs) I sound like my Baptist roots, don't I? Remember, repent, repeat. (laughs) Three R's. But notice what he says. If you do not do this, what does Jesus say? I'll remove your candlestick. Sadly, if you Google The city of Ephesus today, do you know what you'll find? It's in ruins. And for centuries, there has not been a church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. For centuries, the church has been absent. History tells us they didn't repent. I think what this scripture is telling us is that Even though the external works of a Christian may look good, what Jesus truly measures, what Jesus really pays attention to, is the internal, your heart. Have you drifted from the Lord today? Was there a time that you were more committed than you are today? Was there a time that you were more fervent than you are today? You know, as I meet Christians from every walk and every background, and I have a lot of conversations, my ears always perk when I hear a Christian use over and over the word used to. Oh, I used to do this. I used to serve here. Oh, I used to be involved in that. Oh, I used to teach that. Oh, I used to do that. My friend, if used to is one of the main words of you describing your service to the Lord, my friend, it may be that you've drifted some. It may be that you've not even realized the baby steps you've taken from drifting away from your first love. Let's pay attention to this scripture today. Now he says, "If you don't, I'll remove you from the candlestick." We know that happened. But now watch what happens. This is very interesting. Verse number six. Jesus said something fascinating to me for this culture. He says, "And you've not, you, you've hated the Nicolaitans." And listen what he said. I hate the Nicolaitans too. Huh. Isn't that something? Now, this was, a, this was a crazy sect who, you know, they, you know, perverted the gospel, and, and Jesus said, I, I hate them. What a, what a word that this culture needs to hear. Because have you noticed how this culture is just like, oh, God just loves everything and everyone. Well, Jesus doesn't hate nothing. Have you read the Bible? Right? Uh, What this tells me is there's a a side that Jesus is aligned to, and there's a side he's not aligned to, and I don't want to be on that side. I want to hate what Jesus hates, and I want to love what Jesus... Oh, but Chad, Jesus doesn't hate anything. Read your Bible. And now, now, this is the most fascinating point of the text to me. What have we learned today? Well, we've learned who the, what, what the city of Ephesus is. We've learned who the angel is that he's writing to, but we've learned that Christ is the head of his church. The pastor may give account, but Christ is the head. We've learned that Jesus walks in the midst of his candlestick and We see that his attention is honest, and because of that, he knows our works, and he knows our toil, and he knows our patient endurance. He knows our disciplined godliness and not tolerating wickedness or falsehood. He sees our patient endurance and how we've not grown weary. But we've seen that Jesus also has a problem for those who've drifted, for those who have left or abandoned their first love. But he don't leave us hanging He doesn't say you've left your first love and therefore it's all judgment. No, he gives us the answer. He says, remember from where you've fallen. Repent from what you've done. And then redo those precious works. And then the love comes back. Amen. Because love is a choice, not a feeling, not an emotion. Then he says, you hate the Nicolaitans and I hate the Nicolaitans. But now watch what he says. Verse 7, and this is where I finish He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, is Jesus talking about physical hearing? Most certainly not. Wouldn't deaf people be in trouble? Just like Jesus isn't talking about physical eyesight when he told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. He didn't mean physical eyes. He meant spiritual perception. You'll not perceive the things of the kingdom. Wouldn't I be in trouble? If he meant eyesight, someone can lose their hearing and still hear the Spirit of God. Someone can lose their vision, take it from me, and still see the things of the kingdom of God. Amen. So he says, he who has an ear. It doesn't mean our ears. It means that inward, that inward hearing, that effectual hearing. My sheep hear my voice as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit. Let me tell you, as I preach Sunday after Sunday, I plead with the Lord. Don't let people hear me. Let them hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to hear the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then watch what he says now. This is so beautiful to me. It says, To the one who conquers... He will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, remember, the church failed. The church lost its influence. It lost its candlestick. The influence of the church is no longer in that region. and hasn't been for centuries. I believe we are the church of Laodicea. And you see what judgment is there. But notice what Jesus says. See, salvation is a personal response. And so is obedience. Obedience is personal. So do you know what this scripture Is saying to me, Chad, I'm not going to lump you in to everybody else. No, if you conquer Chad, if you overcome sin, if you overcome the evil one, then I will grant it to you to eat of the tree of life. You know what that tells me? Church, let me tell you, in a room this size, there's a whole lot of people not serious with God. You can live like hell through the whole week. You cannot take your faith serious. You can be fake all you want to be fake. You can be a phony Christian, but when it comes to me and my house, I'm going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to take my faith serious. Amen? You can live however you want to live, but I'm not going with you to the one who conquers. And what an encouraging word it is when we look around at the church today in its pathetic and pitiful state. What a word it is to us when we see compromise on every hand and we see sin oozing out of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us, no, to the one who conquers, you will eat of the tree of life. Amen? Well, let's wrap this up. (laughs) The tree of life. What is the tree of life? Well... If you remember, in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was also the tree of life. Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And do you remember what Jesus did? you remember what happened? They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They ate themselves out of house and home. Wasn't it terrible? No, really. It was a full calamity. An unspeakable calamity. So much of a calamity that, do you know why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? I thought, you know, God just was really ticked off at them and said, (laughs) I'm kicking you out. Make it on your own. But do you know what God did in his love and in his grace? See, what the tree of life is, it is eternal life. And when death came upon man, When death came upon humanity, God in His grace, God in His mercy, closed the Garden of Eden. Because had Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life, they would have had their sin for all of eternity. And God in His grace said, no, I'm not going to do that. So for us who overcome in this world, We who overcome the evil one, we overcome sin. We're conquerors in Jesus Christ. We overcome the sinful, perverse, and wicked age. We overcome our flesh. We overcome pride. We overcome sin. You know what Jesus promises? That you and I will have eternal life. That we will eat the precious fruit of the tree of life. Doesn't that give us confidence to move forward? And see, that's the patience that we should have. The patience to endure while moving forward. The patience to wait, but yet serve while we're waiting. Let's bow our heads today. I don't know where your spiritual life is. I don't know where your marriage is. I don't know what you're facing today. But I know this. The word of God will speak to you if you let it. I know the spirit of God will speak to you. If you will have an ear to hear this morning. Do you have an ear to hear? What the spirit says to the church. What's he want to say to you? Perhaps today perhaps today you're contemplating just how far you've drifted and you're thinking about that. Why don't you repent this morning? I'm not asking, have you repented of all of your sins? I'm asking, have you left your first love? Are you doing the works? (laughs) Some of you are on ministry teams. Some of you are serving in amazing capacity. And Christ sees that. And I thank you for that. But don't miss the boat today. Don't miss the main point that you can have all the works but have drifted away from Jesus. You know, David Jeremiah said it so well and it ministered to me. He said of a little saying, I was running to the Savior. But I ran into serving and never made it to the Savior. Could that be some of you? That you're doing all the right things, but you've lost the fervency. You've left the passion. Why don't you repent right now and just say, Jesus, I wanna come back to you. I wanna come back to your heart. I don't wanna do the work of ministry and miss my my love for you. Perhaps you're here today and your marriage is in trouble. Perhaps you're here today and your marriage fell apart and Satan's telling you God is going to punish you for the rest of your life. No, don't you believe that lie. Don't you believe that. God redeems God restores but perhaps today your marriage, your family is on the brink of collapse follow the counsel of God's word today, God will help you perhaps you're here today and you say Chad I I don't work for the Lord you know I've got my career and I've got my family and I've got my hobbies and I've got my interests and I'm certainly not bored in life. As a matter of fact, I can't keep up with everything. But I also recognize that if the Lord looked at my works today, there wouldn't be many things to show. Perhaps the Lord's speaking to you to engage. Perhaps the Lord is putting on your heart. Join a ministry team. Get involved. Help us build the kingdom of God. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you, but however He is, why don't you just respond right now, right there where you're sitting. Just open your heart to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank You for this scripture. The church of Ephesus had everything right on the outside, but not on the inside. Guard us. Protect us. Let us hear what Your Spirit's saying to us today. Let our heart be in the right shape, the right condition the right attitude the right humility thank you Lord Jesus for your powerful word today, it's helped me it has spoken to me it has corrected me thank you Lord for your loving rebukes, for you discipline, you chasten the ones whom you love thank you for convicting us and correcting us because we're your children. In Jesus' name, amen.